Well, good morning. Glad that everybody's here with us today. Uh, a couple things I want to get into. What you just saw on the screen is our next series, uh, which is called Amplified. I'm really excited about uh, the series for a couple different reasons. The, the premise for the series is this, is that we tend to listen to the most amplified voices in our life, right? So whoever is the loudest or whatever is the loudest, we have a tendency to listen to those voices, and then by listening to those voices, then they translate into the actions of our life, right? So I'm excited about it because I think it gives us the opportunity to identify for each one of us, like what are those amplified voices? Like we all have different ones that um, are plaguing us, like we're going to be talking about fear, we're going to be talking about comparison, we're going to be talking about your past, like whatever those things are, if it's amplified, let's identify it, but not just leave it there and say, this is an amplified voice in your life. Then the question is, is how do we amplify the only voice that matters, and that is the voice of God? Now, that I think is cool for a couple different reasons. One of the reasons is, is that I think it gives us a tool that when things are too loud that shouldn't be loud, that we can replace it with something that really matters, right? Like there's gonna be something that can really matter. And the other part of it is, this is one of the things that I hear from people all the time. Like if somebody says, I heard from God, they're like, well, how does that work? Does he like speak? Is it a voice? Does it happen in your mind? Did it happen in the shower? I mean, like when you say God spoke to you, like what does that really mean? And and I've never heard God speak to me. Does that mean he doesn't like me? Or like, can I not hear? Do I have earplugs in? Like, what's keeping me from being able to hear the voice of God? And so we're going to talk about that. Like, how do you hear the voice of God? And how do you discern that it's the voice of God? And how not only do we hear it, but we listen to it. So I'm excited for that series. Like I said, it's going to be starting next week. It's going to be a six-part series. Hope you can come and be a part of that. Uh, with us. The next thing is, is that every month we are very transparent about our finances. So we want to make sure that we keep you on board with where we are and what's going on. And transparency for a couple different reasons. One is we want to continue to remind you of the vision of Life Church, which is uh, significant in our mind when it comes to the building, right? So we said from the start, we don't want a church that only gets used two or three times a week. We want it to be a community center. Um, so we're gonna start a couple businesses in it. So Cafe of Hope and Champs Academy, businesses that can be open seven days a week, that can be able to serve the community, that can be able to give back to the community. And when we presented this vision in the beginning to people and we'd be like, hey, we wanna open seven days a week and want people in and out all the time, they're like, do you know what will happen to your building? Like, people using it all the time. Like, part of the reasons church stay closed is because the upkeep is astronomical. And I'm like, yeah, I know, but I would much rather let people come in and use the building and do ministry through the building than worry about all of the other stuff, right? So, we planted 17 years ago, coming on 18 years uh, this October, and in those 17 or 18 years, this building has been open to the community and people being used in the community. And what that means is people were right. The building does kind of fall apart, and we've been using some duct tape to keep it together uh, for a while and just kind of getting through the things like ministry or the roof. Ah, ministry, right? Like we can put bubble gum on the roof, you know, and keep it from leaking or, you know, air conditioners, and heat or ministry, and we've been like, oh, ministry for sure. Like, people can suffer. Have you ever been to a service in Guatemala? Like, it's hot. You know, you'll be okay. You know, you'll be able to, you'll be able to make it through um, all of those things. And so we've been putting it off for a long time, but we're at a point right now where we needed to fix the air conditioners and we needed to fix the roof. And if you needed any reminder, you should have been here last week in the torrential downpours with all the buckets and rain and everything coming in. So anyway, with that being said, we wanna keep you up to date with where we're at on raising money for that because we decided that we're not gonna do a loan. We're just gonna trust God for the money that's gonna come in. So here's where we're at financially for giving. So monthly budget, 
45,000, giving to the general fund uh, in July, 62,000, over budget for the year, 17 over, or over budget for the month, 17 over budget for the year, 54 and two new givers. Now, with that, this is what I want you to be able to see. One of the things that I do is when I'm talking to people that are in the church world, like I hear this a lot from people in the church world, how's your church been affected by COVID? And I'm like, I don't know, like, Jesus has done incredible things. New people have come, people have given their life to Christ, and giving has been better than it's ever been. So I have no idea other than to say, I just think God's working, and he's using us to be a part of that. We haven't seen that uh, decline still. We're thankful for everybody that's sacrificially giving and allowing us to use that extra money to go towards our building fund or our building project, which is the next thing you're going to see. So we needed to raise $251,000. That's what we've raised so far, 76% of it. We still have $61,000 to raise towards the, the roof of getting done. And so we just want to uh, ask people to continue to pray about it. You know, people have been giving, and we've been able to bring it in. So thankful for people who have given, thankful for those who are going to give in the future, and thankful that we as a church continue to see the vision that we want to keep this building open seven days a week and let everybody use it because we feel like we can do incredible ministry. All right, so that's the uh, announcements. Let's talk about our series called Grown Up Prayers. That's what we're doing right now. Um, And we're going to do a little bit of a recap, and people have said to me before, like, why do you recap the message every single time. Well, there's two reasons uh, that we recap the message every time. It's because the messages all go together and it's important for people to know. Like if you haven't been here and this is your first time here, we don't want you to come in on the end of it and be like, this whole thing doesn't make any sense. So we want to recap it for that reason. One is we have new people joining us online all of the time. If you didn't know this, our online platform continues to grow and we continue to reach people. And what's cool is we're not just reaching people in Huntington, we're reaching people in other communities and we're reaching people in other states uh, through our online community. And so we want to keep people informed, like this is what we're doing and this is what's going on. So here's the recap, grown-up prayers. When you're a kid, your prayers look different than they are when you're a grown-up. Would everybody agree with that? You know, when you're a kid, you're like, can I please not flunk high school? Like... (laughs) can I just pass this test so that I can get my diploma? Or maybe you're on the other end, like, can I get an A plus because I want to be in, you know, I, I don't know this part of the world, but like I want to be on the honor roll and all of the stuff that goes with that. But you're praying through that or like you lost your car keys and you want to pray like, God, I can't find my car keys if you just help me find my car keys. Or like you're in a relationship and you're like, God, just send me that special one, you know, and I'm just looking for that guy or I'm looking for that girl. And here's what we know about, like, our childhood prayers. Like, if they don't come true and you flunk high school, you can still get a GED, right? Like, there's another option. You know what I mean? It's not like, oh, wow, there's no other option and there's nothing you can do. Like, if you didn't pass and God didn't answer your prayer, you can do that. And if you didn't get on the honor roll, like you can get on the honor roll in college. Like there's other alternatives. That makes sense. Or like if you lose your keys and you can't ever find your keys, they'll make you new ones, right? Like you can even call people and they'll make them and bring them out and unlock your vehicle. Or like my parents used to say, when you have a boyfriend or girlfriend and it doesn't work out, there's plenty of fish in the pond, right? Like there's other girls and there's other guys and there's other relationships. So you need, you see what I'm saying? Like grown up prayers, you know, when we're kids look different than when we're grown ups. When we're grown ups, we tend to pray about things that if it doesn't come true, like it's not going to be good, right? And this is for you guys that are new with this. Uh, I lost my wife a little over a month ago uh, who had been battling with cancer. And my prayer was, what do you think my prayer was? To heal her, right? Like the whole idea was, God, she's only 49 years old and plenty of life left and great things and ministry and how she was so, and like I'm praying for all these things. And then God didn't answer my prayer, right? That's way more significant, at least in my mind, you know, as I'm a grown up, because you're not replacing my wife, We're all tracking, right? Like grown-up prayers, we pray for something, 
And again, through that, I don't know if you guys have went through the same thing, but what do you do when God says no? Because if you haven't experienced this, I'm just going to give you like a little insight into the future. Like when God says no to somebody else, you're like, man, I'm going to be praying for that person because that's a bummer. When God says no to you, when it's your child or your spouse or your husband or your wife, and it's personal, when people say, well, God answers all kinds of prayers, sometimes it's yes, no, and maybe. When he says no, it's not that cool. Right? Like, it's not that cool when God says no. So what do you do with that? So what do you do when God doesn't answer your prayer? And how do you move forward when the things that you really want in life don't happen and it's the things that you were praying for? Right? Like, how do those things happen? Or what are those things that we do in the midst of that? And so this series, Grown Up Prayers, is working through, like, what do you do when specifically God doesn't answer your prayer, and how do we as grown-ups approach that? So if you have a Bible, I want you to turn to Matthew 6. And so I don't make a mistake. Here's the funny thing. In the first service, I'm like, hey, we're going to be going over Matthew 6, and then we're going to be going over Luke 10. And so I went in there, and I'm reading through Mark 10 at the end of the service, and I'm telling everybody, get out your Bible and get out your phone, and you're going to want to follow along because it's not going to be on the screen. And I didn't really notice everybody out there being like, What's he reading from? Like, this isn't working. Everybody was looking at Luke 10 instead of Mark 10. So just to give you a little heads up, even if I say Luke 10 again, it's going to be Mark 10, right? And it's not going to be up on the screen. And so you are going to have to follow along in your Bible or your Bible app on your phone or whatever it is on your iPad. Or if you don't have it, you know, you might want to go back and read it. But Matthew 6 has been the, the context for the whole series, like, so we're going to read it, I'm going to sum it up, and then we're going to move on to the last part of this series where we can talk about uh, a view or something that, uh, a way that we should approach prayer from there. Ready? So Matthew 6, we're going to start in verse 5. All right, so it says, And when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you that they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't keep babbling like the pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them. And this is kind of the key to the scripture. It says, don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. And I had said... Like a lot of our prayer lives focus around the needs of us and the needs of other people. Like if you think about what you pray for, like if you think about what your prayer life was like, a lot of what your prayer life was, here's what I need, and if I don't need anything, here's what somebody else needs, God meet my needs or meet the needs of other people. Would we agree? Like that's a lot of people's prayer life. He says... Don't be like the hypocrites where they just babble on a bunch about their needs. Not, not saying, again, not saying that your needs are important, but he says the one thing that you need to know is God already knows your needs. And I hope for a lot of you, you would ask this question. If you fell into the category of, like I pray about my needs or the needs of other people, then why pray? Right? If my, need, if my, if my prayer life is surrounded by Praying for my needs or the needs of other people, why would we pray if God already knows them? Well, he goes into that because that's what he wanted you to ask because the disciples were going through the same thing. He wanted you to ask, okay, if that's not what prayer is like, then can you teach us how to pray? Like, can you teach us what prayer looks like? And that's what Jesus does. This is what he says. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we, as, all, as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So here's the summary. The first thing that he tells you to be aware of when it comes to prayer, like if, if you really want to know, from Jesus, if he's going to teach you how to pray, you know what he tells you to do? 
get in a room and get by yourself because there's some work that can only get done in a room by yourself and it can't get done in the car, it can't get done in the treadmill, it can't get done on a walk, it can't get done on a hike. There's some work that needs to get done and the only way it gets done is you need to close the door and you need to be in a room by yourself. And you know why? Because you gotta work out something. And if you haven't worked this out yet, I'm, you know, I'm praying that this is preparation from when you do have to work it out. If you are mad when God doesn't answer your prayer, there's some work that needs to be done in your heart. Are we still here, right? Like, there's some work that needs to be done in your heart. What needs to be done? You know what needs to be done? You know what he tells us? You know what you need to do inside of that room? You need to decide whose kingdom it's about. Yours or his? Because you know why, and I've stated this, and so I'll just make it real quick. Do you know why I'm upset that my wife died? Other than I'll miss her greatly, and she was the best person ever, and I loved her and wanted to spend the rest of my life with her, right? Like, other than that, because it was about my kingdom, right? It was about my kingdom first, not his kingdom, right? And so when my kingdom crashed, I was upset about it. And he says, you know what you need to get done inside of that room? You need to decide whose kingdom it's about. Because if it's about my kingdom, then she lived a glorious life, was taken on time, and received her reward in full, and you're still here, and you have purpose, right? That's the difference between whose kingdom it's about, right? So that's some work that you can only get done alone. And if you're not going to spend the time in there, you're not going to be able to unpack. Part of what Jesus is trying to get to is like, we need to look at your heart. That's what happens in the first part of prayer is we need to look at your heart and we need to unpack it. Then he gets to the point where he says, so if you want to pray about your needs, let's pray about your needs. So I'll give you three. Like, this is what he tells you. If you want three basis to, to, to pray about, the first one is, is he says, you should learn about provision. Give us this our day, our daily bread. You know why you should learn about provision? Because when you're rich, you tend to forget about God. Now you're sitting there thinking, I'm so thankful I'm not rich. Well, (laughs) let's do the biblical definition of rich. You know what the biblical definition of rich is? Any person that has more than what they need, which would be most of us, right, in this room. So you're considered rich. You know what happens when we get rich? We're like, we don't think about our daily bread. How many people thought, like, I'm not sure what I'm going to be eating? you know, for lunch today. No, you're just thinking which restaurant, what food, and what sounds the best, right? Like, we're not thinking about our next meal. So he says, when you're not thinking about your next meal, when you're not thinking about these, you got to come back and remind yourself God is the one who provides everything because there might be this point in your life. You might have it all in an instant. God might take it away. And you'll only be upset when you think that he is, yes, he is the provider, but he can also be the person who takes it away. Like it all goes together. He's still God. Okay. Then he goes on to, and he says, not only do you need provision, but you need pardon, right? Which is, this is one of the parts that I love best about the prayer, because you know what the pardon piece says? Like, Lord, please forgive me of my sins as I've also forgiven other people. And you know what it says at the end of the prayer? If you don't forgive people, God doesn't forgive you right? And you know why he says that? Because it's a, it's a heart condition thing. You know why we ask for forgiveness of our sins? To remind you. You might not want to hear this, so you ready? You're a heathen just like me. That's why you ask for forgiveness of your sins. Like, you're reminded that through the eyes of God, you're saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, and your righteousness only comes through him and not through your actions. Amen? Right? That you are not self-righteous. Like you can't make yourself righteous. And so this is what it does. It gives you a right view of yourself. And you know why it's important to get a right view of yourself? Because you can only have a right view of yourself to have a right view of other people. You know, part of the problem in the world today is people don't have a right view of themselves. And then when they look at other people that need to be reached, they look at them through their nose. Very judgmental, right? Like, well, I'm... (laughs) I'm so thankful I'm not like anybody, right? Like, I'm so thankful, like, and I'm sitting here thinking, oh, no. Like, in the eyes of God, you're, it's a level playing field, right? Like, you can say all of those things, but in the eyes of God, you still got some work to do, too. So it's, 
The idea is get a right view of self so you can get a right view of other people. Then he says at the end of this, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You know what he's saying at the end? This whole protection idea, you know what the protection idea is? Is who's going to lead you? Who's leading you? Now, again, I think for a lot of us inside of this, we'd be like, well, I mean, I lead myself, and I think God leads me. And so here's something that I want you to think about. For a lot of us, this is a difficult question, and this is the reason this is a difficult question, is, is that when we look at our lives, we usually ask ourselves this question. What's my purpose on this earth? Which doesn't sound like a bad idea, right? I'm just making sure, like... I want to just make sure you're listening because we're actually going to get somewhere in all of this. So, like, it's not a bad idea to say, what's my purpose on this earth, right? Like, it's thinking through, why am I here? And then you start asking yourself these questions like, why am I here? And, and what am I doing? And why am I still, you know, doing these things? Like, what's my purpose? Which then leads to self-protection, right, and self-gratification, Right? So if it's all about what's your purpose on this earth, you're going to fulfill your purpose usually with self-protection and self-gratification. I'm going to do the things that make me fulfill the purpose of why I think that I'm here. I would say a better question is if you want to be led by Christ, the question shouldn't be why I'm here, it's who am I here for? Who am I here for? Like, we as Christians people are here for Christ and other people not to fulfill our purpose, but to fulfill his purpose, right? And so when you start thinking about, so then it's a lot easier to be led. Why? Because I'm here for him, and so that just makes complete sense. Who am I going to follow? If I'm here for him, wouldn't I naturally follow him? Right? Like you're just going to naturally follow who he is. And so the summary of it is get in a room, get alone, figure out whose kingdom it's about. Remind yourself that there's provision and it only comes from God. Remind yourself that you too need forgiven and so do other people. And so we need to get a right view of ourselves and a right view of other people. And then also be reminded, don't ask yourself the question, what's my purpose on this earth? But ask yourself this question, who am I here for? And when you understand that you're here for Christ, being led by him will be a non-issue. Okay, that's the summary of everything that we've talked about in the last three weeks, you know, in grown-up prayers. Here's what I'm going to leave you with. This concept or this thought. Are you ready? The construct in which you build or the view of things and or other people will drive the actions of your life. Does that make sense? So the construct of what you view people as, or the construct of what you view things as, drive the, the actions of your life. And so what we're going to look at is this idea, and we're going to get to it, but I'm going to build to it. If you listen to your prayers and how you pray, it will usually be a definition of your view of God, right? Like how you pray will usually define the construct or the view that you have of God based upon the way that you pray, okay? So that all goes together, and that'll make sense here in a second. But let me put it in some terminology of how I think it fits into culture. So when Sherry and I dated since I was 15 years old, so we dated for a while, got married when I was 20. Um, and so when we got married, there wasn't marriage counseling. So I think about that now, and I'm thinking, that's so weird. Like, nobody, like, tells you anything about marriage, you know, and then you just get married, and you'll figure it out as you go, which I figured out in the first five years was a bad idea, like, to wait and find out, like, how it goes. So we went to the pastor, and we're like, hey, we're going to get married. And he's like, all right, what's the date? And told him the date. And he's like, okay, come back like two weeks beforehand and we'll plan the service. Okay, we'll come in and plan the service. And then we got married. Now, here's the funny thing. You would have thought that Sherry and I dating for that many years and being around each other for that many years, that I would have had a proper construct built of my wife. Okay? But you know what happens? And you might not do this, but I think this happens a lot. A lot of times for guys... The construct that they build for their future wife is usually the construct they see of their mother, right? So 
my construct of what I thought Sherry would be would be like, she's just going to be like my mom, right? Well, here's how my mom did things. So my dad worked at International Harvester. He would come home. We'd get home from school. We all had chores to do. Dad got home from work, you know, and he would come in the house. While he was coming home from work, she always knew the same time, and she was cooking, and it was very important. She cooked all the food, and then when it was time to eat, we all sat around the table, right? And that happened, and it was awesome, and it happened all the time. So Sherry and I get married. We go on our honeymoon. First day, I go to work. I come home. What do you think I'm expecting? I come walking in, and I'm like, what's going on? She's like, well, what do you mean what's going on? I'm like, haven't you cooked anything? And she's like, oh, no. I thought we'd do it together. And I'm like, do what together? Like, people don't cook together, do they? Like, you cook and I'll clean up after, you know, did you see what I'm saying though? Like, you build this construct and then the actions of your life or how you treat one another is based upon the construct of what you have built, right? The thing that changed Sherry and I's marriage, right, the thing that really was a huge breakthrough for us and us being able to love each other well is when somebody finally decided to talk to us about marriage, and they're like, have you ever heard of the five love languages? You know, there's these five love languages, and you figure out what your love language is, and you spend your entire life figuring out how to meet that other person's love language instead of your own needs, right? And so we read the five love languages, and we figured out, like, this is what her needs were, and that I just need to spend the rest of my life loving her in those ways. And when I love her in those ways, you know what changes? It's not about the construct in which I have built that I want her to fit in, but it's the person that she really is. Does that make sense? Right? Because you got to know her relationally right? So I got to know her and like, how did God design her and how did God make her and what's the things that she loved? And so I got to know her in the way that she was and not the way that I wanted her to be. Okay. We're still tracking on that. Same concept when you're raising kids. Anybody want their kids to turn out a certain way? Come on, parents, you don't have like any, like I want them to turn out a certain way. And it's so funny because People build constructs of what they want their kids to be, right? And part of what's funny is when we first moved over here, um, I coached pal football because my kids loved football, and so I thought it'd be awesome to coach football, and then I could reach the community because I didn't know one person when we moved here. Like when we moved here 17 years ago, I didn't know anybody. I thought it'd be a great time to get to know people and reach people. And so go out there and we're coaching football, and you know how, any guys that have ever been coaches, you know how you always, especially of little kids, you know how you always have Johnny, the dandelion picker? You know what I mean? Like everybody's out there playing football and Johnny's rolling around picking dandelions, like has no interest in what you're doing at all. Anybody ever seen a Johnny before? Right? And the funny thing is, I'm like, Johnny, do you like football? No! I'm like, Johnny, what are you doing here? I don't know! You know, and he's just like, picking dandelions and popping the heads of them off and singing songs. And you're like, I don't know about Johnny, you know, and then you get there and then you say to the dad, the dad's like, Hey man, how'd football practice go? And I'm like, like football practice went good, but Johnny, are you sure Johnny likes football? He's like, well, I don't know. I never asked Johnny whether he liked football. I like football. So he built a construct of what he wanted Johnny to like right? Like we do this with our children, right? Like we build a construct of what we want them to be. And then when they don't turn out that way, we're like, what the world happened? I have no idea what happened. And parents get so disappointed. And I said, you know what? Like flipped a switch for me when it came to raising our kids. And like, this is what I figured out is actually the most challenging things about raising your kids. Started out with three, then we adopted five and so we had eight kids. You know what the most challenging part of it was is to get to know them individually and who they are and not collectively what I wanted them to be. That's hard. Like it's hard to individually get to know your kids like and what are their desires and what does God want to do in their heart and how does God want to transform them and who are they in the way that God made them to be and how can I help them to get there? Because you know every kid's different, right? 
Like you have the kid that if you like point at, point at him, they're like, I know I'm so sorry. I'll never do it again, I promise. And then you have the kid, you're like, you're in trouble. And he's like, I'm in trouble? <laughs> you're in trouble. Do you know what I mean? Anybody have those kids? Like you put them in a corner or you might have been one of those kids. Like, and you're going to come out fighting because you're right and you think you can take dad. And I'm like, you're in middle school. I am going to whip you. Right? Like you have no idea. Like adult strength is different than kid strength. I don't care if you're lifting weights. Right? Like those things don't matter. But you know what I mean? Kids, they respond different to you. Right? Like kids respond differently. And the only way we're going to know how to raise them right is to know them. Right? You can't put those two people together and treat them the same way. Amen? Right? So you have to get to know them, not what you want them to be. You understand the construct? But what, who they really are and figure out how you're going to work with them inside of their life. And when you do those things, you can be successful and God can use you and them in a good way. So that's culture. But you know, honestly, it's the same way with God. Do you know part of the problem that we have inside of Christianity today is people have built a construct of who they want God to be? And so everything that they do is built around the construct of what they want him to be and not who he really is. Right? And that becomes a huge problem. And it's not just a huge problem in our faith today. It was a huge problem back then. So Mark 10, not Luke 10. Mark 10, right? You're not going to have it up on the screen. So if you have a Bible, you're just going to have to follow along. Here, if you don't have a Bible, you're going to have to go home and read it afterwards. But here's the thing about Mark 10 that I want you to see. So it's the whole piece of Mark 10 that I want you to see, and this is why. Jesus does a pretty amazing thing, and I'll tell you this, um, whether you've known this or not, but sometimes it's very dangerous to pull just pieces of Scripture out for your own agenda instead of reading the context of everything that's going on. You hear me? Like sometimes people pull scriptures to get their agenda done instead of reading the whole context of what was trying to happen. In here, what I want you to get you to see is Jesus is getting to a point. And if you look at it as that, when we get to the end of it, the blind Bartimaeus story, it's all going to make sense. But if you don't look it into the context and you just look at the blind Bartimaeus story, you're just going to be like, oh, wow, he healed a blind man. That was cool. But if you look at it from the context of Jesus is always trying to teach people, right? So Jesus is always trying to teach. So he builds it all into a context. And the context that he's building it into is I got a group of people that got it messed up. I got a group of people that can't see straight. I got a group of people who built a construct of who they thought I should be, and that construct is wrong, and because of that, we got major problems, okay? Are you ready? So here we go. Mark 10. So here's what he says in the beginning of Mark 10, starting in verse 1. It said, Jesus then left that place and went into the region of Judea across from the Jordan. Again, crowds of people came to him, and as was his custom, he taught them. Some Pharisees, so this is a group of people, some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What did Moses command you? He replied. They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. But at the beginning of creation, God made for them male and female. For this reason, the man will leave his father and mother and become one and become united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate, okay? Now, let's got to know the context. Who were the Pharisees? The Pharisees, and this is the crazy thing, the Pharisees were religious leaders that knew all of the Old Testament, which if you read the Old Testament, the Old Testament was to point to the Messiah, right? So the whole idea of the Old Testament was to point to the Messiah. The Pharisees were, we're the professional Old Testament people. We know so much about it that when the Messiah comes, we can't miss him, right? Now, I want you to think about this. These are the professional identified Jesus people, right? Now, Jesus is standing in front of him, and the Pharisees are testing him and asking him questions about divorce, how did the Pharisees who knew all of the Old Testament look across the room and say, well, that's not Jesus. We're going to test him and we're going to prove that he's not Jesus. How did they miss him? 
You know what Jesus said? Their hearts were hard. You know why their hearts were hard? Because they had a construct. You know what their construct of the coming Messiah would be? Not a carpenter that came from Galilee. So it did not matter what Jesus said or what Jesus did because their construct said, you're from Galilee, you're from Nazareth, you're these things. It doesn't matter what you said. Their heart and their eyes were always going to be blinded to what Jesus wanted to do. And they missed Jesus because of a construct of what they wanted him to be and not looking at who he really was. Does that make sense? Right? So these Pharisees miss Jesus because of a construct they built in their mind. And the reason I'm telling you these things is we're not that far from it. Some of you are missing what Christ wants to do in your life because you build a construct. He's not fulfilling it. And he's saying, I'm over here. Come over here. See me for who I really am. Don't get so caught up in what you want me to be. So then he goes on. Let's skip down to verse 13. So now this is dealing with the disciples. Here's what he says. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone... Um, Anyone who will not, receive, will not receive the kingdom of God like little children will never enter it. Think about this. When you think about kids, what kind of a person shoes away little children from the Messiah? From the person who could enter them into heaven? Like if you're a mom or a dad, you're like, get up there. This ain't Santa Claus. Like, go sit on his lap because he's changing things, right? Like, this is Jesus. He can change things. Get up there. And his followers are like, get them kids away. Why? You know what the construct that the disciples had built of Jesus? That Jesus was going to be a king who was going to overthrow Rome. And he ain't got time for kids. He ain't got time for the snotty kid sitting on his lap, making a mess of his uniform. Like, he ain't got time for that kind of stuff. So the disciples, because of their construct, of they thought Jesus was going to be this king who was going to be able to take over the Roman rule and the Roman government. That's why you always see Jesus saying, what is wrong with you? Why can't you hear me? You know why I couldn't hear him? You know why the disciples could never hear him? Because they were listening for something else. They wanted something else. They wanted Jesus to be something, and Jesus was this. And so every time he said something, they're like, I don't really get the story. Can you explain it to me again? It wasn't because they were ignorant. It was because they were blind. They were blind. And the reason that they were blind is because they had a construct that they were trying to build that was outside of who really was. Then you remember the, the story of the rich man? So this goes on in Luke 10, and see how he keeps building in this. This is in verse 17. He said, And Jesus started on his way, and a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except for God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. Teacher declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and, uh, and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. At this time, at this, the man's face fell and he went away sad because he had great wealth. What person who understands, now I want you to think about this. What person who understands that this life is short on this earth and the person that can truly garner you eternity is standing in front of you and is saying, sell everything and eternity is yours would say, oh, well, I don't really want to sell anything. Like who would do that? Somebody who doesn't see Jesus as a Messiah, but somebody sees Jesus as a favor giver because you know what the guy really wanted was to continue to bless his wealth. 
You know what he really wanted? To be a part of what that guy was already doing. And so when Jesus is like, oh, well, you know, all of those things, I can see your heart's in the wrong place. So just give it up. I'm the Messiah, right? I'm the giver of all things. I can give you eternal life. This guy had built a construct of what he wanted the good teacher to be, and he missed. Now, don't miss this, okay? If you're bored, wake up. This man missed eternity because he wanted Jesus to be what he wanted to be and not who he really was. People in our culture today are missing eternity because they want Jesus to be something that he's not. Don't try to make Jesus into what you want him to be, but look at him for who he really is because there's a lot at stake. And then he goes on, the next big headline is, is that Jesus predicts his death. He says, they were on their way to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished. And while those who followed were afraid, again, he took the 12 aside and told them uh, what he told him, what was going to happen to him. We're going to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him and uh, they will condemn him to death and will hand him, over, uh, hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. And three days later, he will rise again. So he's getting ready to tell them, you know what's going to happen if you go with me to Jerusalem? You know, like if you go with me to Jerusalem, all these things are going to happen. And, the, and if you were a disciple that was truly listening to what Jesus said, would you be like, I'm all in? Because you know they weren't brave right? Like we all know the disciples weren't brave, right? Because what happened when Jesus was arrested? They all a bunch of chickens, right? Like they all took off. They all fled. Peter denied him. So if they were really listening to what Jesus said right here, I'm getting ready to go into Jerusalem. I'm going to be flogged, spit on, arrested, and bad things are going to happen. How many of them would have went if they were really listening? Not many, right? And then again, because of time, I'm going to skip over this, but then if you would read on in in Luke 10, you know what the next thing is. James and John want to figure out where their seat's going to be in the kingdom of heaven. (laughs) What did they care about? His will, his kingdom, his things, or where your place was going to be inside of your kingdom, your will, and where, you know, where you fit. See that? See how their construct had led them to bad things then? Here's the heart of the story, and this is what I didn't want you to miss. So you see how he builds all of that up. So what he's, what's he want you to be thinking about? People are blind. People are blind. People are blind. They're not seeing me. They're not seeing me. The reason they're not seeing me is because they built these constructs of who they wanted me to be. And so now let me tell you a story, okay? And this is where now the story should make sense to you. This is blind Bartimaeus. This is in verse 46. It says, then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city, and a blind man, Bartimaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard, what it, what, when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all of the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called the blind man, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want, what do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked. And the blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Verse 52, go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Now put this into context. Michelle's going to come back up and we're going to do a special here at the end. Put this into context. The Pharisees were blind. The disciples were blind. The people that were following Jesus were blind. And the reason that they were blind is because of the construct in which they had built of what they wanted Jesus to be and not who he really was. And now he gets to this point where he walks up on the side of the road and he says, blind Bartimaeus, Ask me for anything, right? Because this, if taken and put somewhere else, he healed other blind people, right? Like he healed other blind people. So what I think he wants you to see inside of this is two things. So when he comes there and he says, blind Bartimaeus, what do you want? He says, Lord, I want to see. And 
what I want us to hear, it wasn't just about the physical sight of blind Bartimaeus being healed. What he wanted people to see is, is that for each one of us, we're blind in our own ways. Right? So for each one of us, you're missing a piece of what God wants to do in your life because you've been blinded by the construct in which you've been put in. Right? You've been blinded by these ideas or these ideologies of what you thought God should be or what you wanted God to be or how you wanted him to, to handle your situation and you've been blind and God's just saying, I just want you to see. I just want you to see. Because you know what happened right after that? Do you know how in other miracles people got healed and then they just ran away and ran around and told everybody about him? What did this guy do? As soon as he was healed, what did he do? He followed him. Why? Because blind Bartimaeus finally saw Jesus for who he really was, the Messiah, right? The Messiah. When the scales fall off of your eyes, when you throw away the constructs in which you have created of what you want God to be and what you want Jesus to be, and you say, God, show me who you are, the who you really are as Messiah, who wouldn't follow him? Right, and this is my prayer for you this week. This is what I want you to do. Because each one of us are blind in different ways, and this may be your prayer. God, take the scales off and let me see my wife like you see her. Let me view her through your eyes. Let me view my husband through your eyes. Let me view my children through your eyes. Not through the constructs in what you built and what you want them to be, but see them as Jesus sees them, as children and daughters and sons of a king. Right? Let him see, let him see other people. Let my view of other people be seen through your eyes. Because God, when we see the way that you see, it makes everything right. It makes everything make sense. And that's my challenge for you this week. So as we sing this last song, this last song, we're going to kind of break the norm. So you're not going to stand up. I am going to pray for you. I'm not going to break the norm. But here's what I want you to do. Or we are going to break the norm. I want you to sit here and I want you to process. Because this song is about whose kingdom Whose eyes? Where are you at? And what do you need to do? And so I just want you to take some time. I don't know where each individual person is, but I do know this. I've talked to enough people. We all have scales that need to fall off. We all have things that need to be delivered. We all have tensions of our will and his will that need to be broken. And so during this last song, I'll just pray that you will allow God to do a work that only he can do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today and the opportunity to come together and continue to learn more about prayer. Lord, I'm so thankful that today we can learn that we possibly are missing what you have in our life because of the construct in which we built. Lord, I pray all of those constructs and all of those ideologies that are wrong, will they be tore down? May we empty ourselves of all of those things and may we have your eyes to see the way that you see. May you unveil the beauty of this earth and the beauty of the people around us and the things that you want us to see in ways that only you can see it. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Jesus walked, so I 
So I'll just continue to challenge you, not only individually, but as a church, because I really think that God is on the move, and I think that God is wanting to do some incredible things through you individually and through Life Church and the things that are happening, but it takes some of the hard work that needs to be done, getting in our room, examining our heart, not just singing that it's His will you know, our, his will and not our will, but truly allowing him to change that inside of us and doing the hard work of saying, Lord, if there are scales in my eyes, let them fall off. And may I see the world the way that you see it. And I think in the midst of that, God can use us in amazing ways. So thank you for being here with us today. Thank you for joining us online. Invite you guys back next week as we start our new series called Amplified. We'll see you next week.